Welcome to the Spooky Tales podcast presented by me, John. And me, Louise. We have been fascinated by spooky goings-on since we can remember and wanted to share with you the stories that pique our interest. Today's story is of hauntings, possession, poltergeist, psychological manipulation and an unexpected twist. It's the spooky tale of the ghosts of Glass Haze. Welcome to the Spooky Tales podcast. It's lovely to be with you all again. Thank you to those of you who have left a review recently. It's very much appreciated. We really do love them. We certainly do. Thank you very much indeed. So today's tale is another lovely tale sent to us by a listener. Cool. And also a glimpse into the weird world of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Now, I can't reveal the true names of our listener, so I haven't. But I have no reason to doubt the authenticity of the tale. It is about the ghosts of Glass Haze. Oh, yes. What's a glass haze? Well, it was a large country house in Lyndhurst, in the south of England, in the county of Hampshire. Glass Haze House has had a varied life as home to high society, famous guests when reinvented as a hotel, and now, since 2014, lies abandoned, saved from schedule demolition for now at least. One constant in the last 120 years are the ghosts, most notably that of the first Duke of Stackpool. Richard Fitzgeorge de Stackpool. Oh, that sounds very posh with a certain je ne sais quoi. Was he French? Uh, No, he wasn't, but he did hold the French title as well as several other papal titles for the work that he did on the Vatican. Hang on. Did some work on the Vatican? (laughs) Actually, on it, do you you make it sound like he did a bit of decorating or fitted a new kitchen for the Holy See or (laughs) something like that? Well, in a manner of speaking, yes, he did. He rebuilt large parts of the Vatican. It doesn't specify if a kitchen was part of the deal, but, well, probably. Wow, I'm rebuilding large parts of it. That's yes. unbelievable. Yep, and, uh, and parts for... of the bridge and, I think, uh, a, a fountain or two. Really? Hmm. And for that, he got a papal title. I, I don't... Actually, I don't understand that. I thought only the Pope has papal titles, like the Bishop mm-hmm. of Rome, his holiness and, yeah. and that kind of Yes, well, these were more... Holy Father. Yes. Is Holy yeah, he's got about 12 of them, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think these were more papal nobility titles that were awarded on merit for things like construction of hospitals or promotion, defence of the Catholic faith and ideas. He was given the Order of St Gregory and created a Marquis by Pope Leo XII in 1828. Cool. However, considering he was in favour of the Pope, he was a bit of a rogue. A rogue or a rouge, as you put. <laughs> He was a bit of a rouge. He was a bit of a rouge. rouge. Well, he's had that French depart to it. <laughs> yeah, as a right. rouge rogue. <laughs> yes, all right. Oh, like our landlord, when we first got married. Oh, Do you remember him? yes. Uh, while we were there for 12 months, nine of which he spent in prison for property for fraud. For property fraud, <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice landlord, that. But he, he was so, actually, he, wasn't he? Well, we were, we were lucky, I think, because he just there was no way he could be dodgy to us when we left, having just popped out of prison for... Um, for property fraud. Yes, it? that's very true. That is very so true. We got yeah. all our deposit back. Yeah, unbelievably. No quibbles, <laughs> was there? No quibbles. And us is looking at the door thinking there's cat there's a, a cat scratches on the door about an inch thick. Yeah. Anyway. Uh yes, so uh yes, it was a bit like uh, our um 
our landlord, the Duke arrived in 1846, rebuilt the place and ran a smuggling ring, living there with his married mistress, Mrs. Louisa Graves. Ooh-wee! Yeah, I know. The building was famous for its octagonal tower, which served perfectly as a lookout. For whom were they looking out? Who cared? And, 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 and what did they smuggle? Contraband. Ooh. Yes, I don't know what the contraband was. No, no. just <laughs> generally. It's just general contraband. Uh, if anybody knows, please do let us know. Following the Royal Commission to consider rural constabulary in 1836 and the County Police Act in 1839, more and more police forces were being formed in the south of England, including Hampshire. And they see that was the time of Robert Peel. Ah. Previous podcast, slightly obsessed with Robert <laughs> Peel, Prime okay. Minister, and it was at that time. Yes, so what he was the driving force behind that sort of thing? Well, he was the Prime Minister when it was happening. Yeah. yeah. So he probably did have a, a good hand in that. Yeah. So, they, so yes, there was need for a lookout oh. uh, because, of course, uh, ne- there were now police dodgy. running about. Yeah. yeah. Although there he wasn't likes. a police station in Lindhurst itself, I think, for about another 15 years after. Lindhurst sounds lovely. It does, doesn't it? Unfortunately, the Duke was only to be in the property two years as he died on July the 7th, 1848. Now, it is said that every year on the anniversary of his death, music can be heard emanating from certain rooms, part of a grand ball that the Duke holds for the dead. Ooh! Anything else, or is that all for the ghostly Duke? Well, yes, there is, but I'll come back to that. By the turn of the 20th century, the building had become the Grand Hotel, and it was frequented regularly by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of Sherlock Holmes. Ooh. He liked it there so much that he designed the extension to the hotel in 1912. What? How did that come about? I mean, I knew he was a man of varied interests, but an architect? That I did not know. But he was an amateur, wasn't he? Not a professional architect. Yes, that's right. His father considered himself an architect uh, and put it, he put it down on his occupation, uh, on the marriage certificate and on the 1881 census, although he was actually a surveyor to the Scottish office. So Arthur Conan Doyle's close friends were architects also. You see, I've got a friend who's a pilot. On that basis, that means that gives me a licence to have a go at flying a plane that I took the fancy to doing so. Yeah, don't. Um, no, no. No, don't do So did he just present the plans and they went ahead with them? Yes, pretty much. It was considered that it was a whimsical activity, something to pass the afternoon after a casual conversation with the manageress, Miss Ryland. And that it would be, you know, nice to add another floor to the hotel. So he went off, designed it and gave it back to her. And, and they went with it? Yeah. Wow. It wasn't his only architectural project. He also designed a golf course and the outbuildings for a large hotel in Jasper Park in Canada. Sadly, none of it survives today. He also had a hand in the designs for his house in Surrey in, like, in the 1890s, which you probably would have expected. Well, actually, if it's your own house, and it's your vision, isn't it? Yeah. Quite a talented man then. I knew he started out as a doctor in the 1880. Yeah, absolutely. And after graduation, he enlisted on a steamer called the SS Mayumba, heading for West Africa. The voyage was a disaster. There was a fire, a terrible storm, and unfortunately, he got very ill, probably malaria. Upon his return, he settled for the more sedate life of ophthalmology in South Sea on the Hampshire coast. This allowed the time to pursue his writing. I don't know what ophthalmology is. His eyes. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's eyes. Uh, right, that's what I know him best for. You know, Sherlock Holmes, obviously, yes. and his other... I've actually read most of his. 
Well, Sherlock Holmes was inspired by a surgeon at the medical school he was at in Edinburgh, a Dr. Joseph Bell. He really sort of uh, ad- admired Dr. Joseph Bell's uh, approach and very de- deductive reasoning to uh, understand what right. was wrong with the patient. Oh, cool. And also uh, Arthur Conan Doyle's interest in spiritualism. Ah, yes. Yeah. So did, oh, yeah. Actually, didn't that come about because of his son's death in the First World War, um, that it would be a way to contact him? No, he had been interested uh, since at least 1880. He wrote to his mother about a lecture he had been to entitled, Does Death End All? Good title. Thank you. He had an article published in the Journal of the London Spiritualist Alliance, The Light, in 1887. He joined the Society for Psychical Research in 1893. Oh, where, that's the main... That's quite yeah, a... Yes, that's it's a, still there, isn't it? Yeah, the absolutely. It's the sort of... Yeah, main... Where you go and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, Enfield Poltergeist. Yeah. They were... The, weren't they from yeah, the Society? That's right. Guy Playfair was sent round from them, wasn't yes, he? Yes, exactly. He, he was part of their, their group. Yeah. So, Arthur Colin Doyle in the society experimented with table tipping and automatic rhyme writing automatic writing sorry as a means to contact the dead mm-hmm. however following the great war and the loss of his son he did become a great advocate and campaigner for spiritualism to the day he died of a heart attack in 1930 uh, he had a, a psychic bookshop i believe in london yes in fact it was called the psychic bookshop <laughs> right Pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. And it wasn't just a bookshop, it was a museum. And as his daughter, Mary, who worked there, described it, a place where people could come and tell their troubles and get advice about the right medium. Ah, OK. Well, that's not a bad, not a bad place to go, then. No, so it's quite... Especially if you had hauntings. Yeah. You go there and find it's the right medium to the police. Yes. Or maybe the police would say, yeah. what you need to do is go to yes. the psychic bookshop. Indeed. He also believed in the Cottingley Fairies, uh, well, the Cottingley Fairies' photos, or at least he was strongly convinced that they were genuine. Oh, yes, that went on for years, didn't it? Absolutely. And in fact, it wasn't, wasn't it the fact that it was his his kind of, yeah, you know, thing that made it? Absolutely. So there were five photos of the fa- uh, fairies taken by the two girls, Elsie Wright and Frances Griffiths, at the bottom of the garden in a house in the village of Cottingley in Yorkshire, in, in, which is in England. Two were taken in 1917 and three in 1920. Why were there three years between the photos? Right, well, the first two were taken using Elsie's father's camera to prove that they were playing with fairies. Prove? Yeah. The adults, Elsie's mother and father, and Frances's mother, did not believe the girl's story that the reason they played by the stream at the bottom of the garden, which was against the mother's wishes, was that there were fairies there. So the father became agitated at their insistence that the fairies were real, as you could plainly see that the photographs of the fairies were cutouts. Elsie was a talented artist, so he assumed she had drawn the figures and it was a prank, although he could not find any evidence, no cuttings or whatever, in the bedroom or by the stream. Nevertheless, he never let them use the camera again. And that, as they say, was that. So how did Arthur Conan Doyle get involved? Well, well Elsie's mum believed that the photographs were genuine. And in 1919... What, actually... She really did. She really did, yeah. So the father thought it was a prank, but she, yeah. the mum thought, no, I believe that these... Because my girls don't lie. No. Uh, and, uh, well, her daughter and... and uh, the, yeah, her, his uh, girls. Yeah. yeah uh, her cousin daughter uh, didn't, didn't lie. So she took them in 1919 along to a talk 
which was on fairies at the, the Theosophical Society meeting in nearby Bradford. I cannot say that word. Theosophical. Theosophical? We just did, yeah. I just said it perfectly. <laughs> I think, okay. Yeah, so she showed them to the speaker and later that year, they were exhibited at the Society's annual conference in Harrogate. Oh, it's quite posh, Harrogate. Yes, the Theosophical Society. I actually don't know what it means. <laughs> ah, right. Well, I can say, can say it, it now. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, well, it's a society founded to advance the ideas of theosophy, those being based on the writings of a Russian occultist philosopher and medium called Madame Blavatsky. Oh, Blatters. <laughs> Blatters, yes. <laughs> Incidentally, she... she was uh, playing cricket. That's what she'd be known as. Or, or football. She'd be Blatters. No, she'd be Blatters. She? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, actually, incidentally, she, she co-founded the society. Really? She founded a society to promote and advance her own ideas. I know. I know. It's quite bold, isn't it? Yeah. I was thinking I might try it myself. Yeah. What would it be? What would your central theme be? <laughs> what Pro- would you... Uh, probably something along the lines of taking naps, eating decent cheese and brewing proper coffee. Oh, very nice. Anyway, where were we? Yes, theosophy. Madame Blavatsky described, described it as the synthesis of religion, science and philosophy, reviving an ancient wisdom that underlies all religions. She's sort of seen as the mother of the New Age movement, among other things. I've actually got a copy of her book on my Kindle. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. I think it's one of those that you can get free. Yeah. And when I first got the Kindle, I was like, free book, free book, free book, free book. <laughs> Have you read it? No. Oh, okay. Well, I guess you're not, because you didn't... You know. I had no idea what it was about. Yeah. Okay. Well, I might well get that then. Sounds good. Free book, free book. Did no, you no, not do that? Well, I know a bit about Madame Blatsky, but I haven't read any of her books. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well... Okay. Well, she was also a fringe supporter of the spiritualist movement. So she believed in the spiritualist phenomena. Phenomena. That's right, but not that they were contacting spirits of the dead. Anyway. What? Just contacting spirits? Yes. But not of people that have passed? Well, not necessarily, no. Right. The photos were shown to a leading theosophist called Edward Gardner, who had the photos verified as genuinely authentic photographs by Kodak and a photographic expert uh, of the time called Harold Snelling. They did also send it to Ilford, as in Ilford film. Yes. But they said they were probably fake. Ah, ah I yes. didn't have that. And there was another expert who looked at it and said, yeah, that's probably fake as well. Yeah. Uh, but there were two that said they were genuine. Right. And they didn't say they were photographs of fairies. Who didn't say they were photographs of So Kodak and, and Snelling, they said that they were genuine photographs, uh, but they didn't say they're definitely they're fairies. fairies. They're so they wouldn't said... quite sign up to that. Um, so they were saying that nothing was added after. Yes, exactly. It that. was a photograph that was taken at that time. Yeah, and, yeah no, I can understand that. And, and that was enough for them, I think. Rather sneakily, I think, Gardner had Snelling make prints, which he then sold at his lectures. Oh, cheeky. Yeah, I thought that. So one, uh, actually, funny enough, one of which was, uh, one of those prints was sold at auction in 2018 for over £15,000. Wow. That does sound bad. I'm guessing Elsie's family didn't benefit. I, I'm from guessing the, that Gardner benefited. Yes, from, from the, the sales of those, the yes. Oh, That's cheeky right. sound. Yeah, yeah, so Gardner contacted the family and went back to get more pictures. Cool. He asked the girls to take pictures with two cameras. The Yorkshire weather then prevented the pictures being taken for nearly two weeks. And finally, the weather improved. And over the course of three days, the girls took three more pictures showing fairies. So did anyone else actually see them or was it only the girls? Well, it was only the girls because they quite cleverly, they said that the fairies would not come out if they were being watched oh, by others. Yes. Now... 
via the editor of a spiritualist magazine called The Light, which I think we spoke yeah, about we earlier, it, yeah. Arthur, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle got to hear about the photos. And it was this sort of divine timing from his point of view, as he was writing an article for the Strand magazine on the fa- on fairies. And so into his lap comes this all comes and so into his lap comes authenticated photographs of fairies. What? The photos were published along with his article in 1920, and then the story went viral, as you were saying earlier. I wonder whether he was actually because he wasn't totally taken seriously, was he, Arthur? Not after this. No, no. because I was going to say, did it not put a thing on his reputation? It certainly did. Yes, and mainly because he, you know, he really put his weight behind it. Uh, saying that they were genuine and that the existence of fairies were genuine. So, didn't Telsey and Francis admit it was a hoax at some point? Yeah, they, they did. But not to begin with. So, two interviews that they did in the 1960s and the 1970s. So, this had run and run and run. Yeah. And, and I think, actually, with it, so it goes that they, they got fed up of it and were glad when it all died down and went away. Yes. Uh, but when they were interviewed again in the 1960s and then again in the 1970s, uh, they, they stuck to the story. Wow. Saying that they, it was indeed genuine. They were genuine photographs of fairies. But uh, in an interview that they did for a magazine called The Unexplained, and it's in volume five, if you're interested, really. uh, which was in 1983. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I put that in just for you. No. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> um, they did admit that the photos had been faked. Ooh. Although, yes. they went on to say that they did see fairies. And Francis claimed that the fifth photo was in fact genuine. What? Yeah. So, but Elsie did... What? So, <laughs> although they said the photographs were fake, yeah. they said they... But they had seen fairies. Oh. Down at, at, at the, oh, that, the bottom of the bit, garden. But they yeah. just couldn't get a photograph. Or what? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, no, really? the photographs were fake. So they're saying, yes, they have seen fairies. Yeah. They'd taken the photographs, but those had been faked. They wow. basically used card, but used trace, uh, traced um, pictures onto some cardboard cut it out and used hat pins to stand them up. Wow! Um, but they said they, although they said those were fake, they said they had seen fairies. But Francis said the, the, the that fifth. actually the fifth one was a genuine photograph of a fairy. Although Elsie said, "That's funny. I thought I took the last photograph." So mm. whatever, the mystery is still there. So it's kept the mystery alive then. Yeah. What's this got to do with what we're talking about? Oh, what, the Ghost of Glasshouse? (laughs) Yeah, 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 sorry. I have gone down a bit of a rabbit hole on this one. So before I bring it back to that, I tell you what, I found it really fascinating that people all over the world recreate these photographs. Do they? Yeah. They trace out um, berries onto uh, um, uh, um, some cardboard, stick them up with hat pins and so on, and take these photographs either colour, but normally they they sort of... um, uh, you know, have the sepia effect and black uh, and white so to give the sort of atmosphere. Uh, and it's really quite, it's quite, they're keeping that, that bit alive, if you like. But there is a real thing for fairies, isn't it? and especially those kind of images of fairies, which are kind of like playful imps, isn't it? Is that yes. kind of playful yes, it with is. the wings? And, and that's that what the photos are like. They're very, yeah, much, they're very, they're kind like, of, very playful. I remember there being calendars and stuff like that. Yeah. Them. At one point, they were, I mean, yeah, yeah. quite twee. Is that harsh? Oh, no, it's not harsh. They are very twee, yes. They are very twee. In fact, one person who was looking at the photographs who thought they were uh, fakes, um, he said one of the reasons he thought they were fakes was the the, the hairstyles of the 
uh, of the fairies was too Parisian. Oh, too Parisian! Yes. I say. Well, there's no reason that fa- the, the fairy couldn't be. Yeah, you know, take up. inspiration. I it was nice that he was up with the Parisian <laughs> yes, hairstyles exactly. of the day. Yes. Oh. Anyway, ghosts. Yeah, uh, sorry. At the time that uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was d- uh, designed the extension to what was Glasshay's house and now was renamed the Grand Hotel, that the ghosts started to be seen. Ooh. Yeah, so much so that the builders of the extension placed what they called a Glasshay's Devil's Square above the entrance for every time that they had seen a ghost. Oh, how many How many squares were added? Seven. Wow. So, they, you know, which suggests that they saw a ghost at least seven times. Yeah. Uh, now, back to uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle for a moment. It's claimed that he wrote The Hound of the Baskervilles while staying in his favourite room at the Grand Hotel and held seances there. Wow. Now, in 1970, the hotel was bought and renamed the Lyndhurst Park Hotel. Very nice. Again, during renovations in uh, 1970, the Duke was not only seen, this is Richard Stackpole. Yeah. He, he was not only seen, but he actually attacked builders that were renovating the building. So the Duke didn't like disturbances then? Well, you know, people remodelling his house, so you know. It, yeah, so it would seem. Now, one day during the renovations, one of the builders had noticed an old man at the end of the corridor. So the builder challenged him, telling him he shouldn't be there. The old man announced that he was Richard, the first Duke of Stackpool. And when the builder reached the man and touched him to urge him out, his whole arm went icy cold. The builder then received a sharp, stabbing pain in his head, and the next thing he knew, he was being revived by his colleagues. An hour had passed since the encounter with the Duke. The Duke is not the only ghost. Mrs. Buck, who died in 1826, and a cook who hanged herself after an affair were often seen. Recently, this year in fact, 2020, I was contacted by someone who had visited the property with a friend and had several strange experiences. Really? Go on. The building is now abandoned. My contact, shall call them Joe, and their friend I'll call Blaze. Cool. They managed to gain access to the site. Once in the building, Joe and Blaze explored the old hotel. It was one of those wood-panelled affairs and quite higgledy-piggledy. It looked a shadow of its former glory. In its heyday, the hotel had famous guests such as the Beatles and had accommodated Mrs. Thatcher when she was a Prime Minister. Now, though, it was run down. Paint and wallpaper peeling dirt and dust in the air and an unnerving stillness. Joe and Blaze ascended the main stairs. Suddenly, the air around Joe became icy cold and she cried out to Blaze to see if he could feel it also. And then they both cried out in shock. Why? What happened? But they both saw a shadow move past them, leaving them terrified. Ooh. Now... Blaze was no softy. He was a no-nonsense sort of person who was sceptical of ghosts and such like. However, he was very unnerved. And on a return visit, Blaze walked up the stairs and went into the room that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle used to stay in all those years ago, where he wrote The Hound of the Baskervilles. Something caught his eye out of the window, and a feeling of fear came over him. And as he looked close out of the window, he saw what only can be described as a large, dog-like beast. Blaze was rooted to the spot in terror, not knowing what to do. Eventually, the beast-like animal skittled off into the gardens and out of sight, 
Slowly, the feeling of dread and fear subsided, and Blaze began to feel himself again. Blaze was to see the dog beast once again lurking in the garden, and once again, the feeling of fear and dread overwhelmed him. Blaze decided to do some research, and after doing some digging, found a YouTube video of a nearly identical dog beast captured on CCTV just down the road. The beast was known as the Wessex Way Monster. Wow. And in the video, a creature looking not unlike a werewolf can be seen crossing a dual carriageway. Oh my word. And this creature has been seen on many occasions in the, in the area. Joe wondered if Sir Arthur Conan Doyle may have seen this dog-like beast in the hotel gardens when looking out of the window of his favourite room and been inspired when writing The Hound of the Baskervilles. The abandoned building continues to act strangely. It has been reported that outside lights turn on even though there is no electricity. Oh gosh. Also, cars parked nearby have their batteries drained of power and this all happened in one day where three different cars all had their batteries uh, drained. Oh my word. You know, a car coming to help the other car. Oh, it's a leak. That's right. The building has been saved from demolition twice by the New Forest Park Authority. However, as reported in the Bournemouth Daily Echo of January this year, the building appears to be starting its own demolition as a three-storey section of the building came crashing down unexpectedly. Joe told me that they knew of someone who had been investigating the building only three days before that incident. And they said that they could not take their eyes off the doomed section. They couldn't understand why, but they just couldn't take their eyes off that section, which then collapsed. Wow. So, there we go. Another spooky tale. Yeah. So what did you think? Spooky. Indeed. A big thank you to Joe for sharing the story with us and allowing us to tell it. We hope you enjoyed this spooky tale. We look forward to joining you again next time. If you enjoyed this spooky tale, please do tell others and please leave us a review so it can help other people who may enjoy our podcast. Thank you. Please do tell us your spooky tales either in the YouTube comments or via email, which is thespookytalespodcast at gmail.com and come and follow us on Instagram at thespookytalespodcast. Or why not visit us on our Facebook page at Spooky Tales. So thank you again and until next time, bye. Bye. Bye.